Well, the Bible has always been significant for me as a child, hearing the Bible read in Sunday school class. As a teenager attending Western Mennonite High School and sitting under the instruction of Bible teacher Marcus Lind, and during the Korean War, uh, because of my understanding of what the Bible teaches about Jesus, I decided to register as a conscientious objector for two years of alternative service at a mental health institute in Mount Pleasant, Iowa. As a student at Eastern Mennonite University, I majored in Bible and then went on teaching Bible at Western Mennonite High School. As a student at Eastern Mennonite University, majoring in Bible. In Somalia, teaching the Bible to students who came to our house for Bible study. And today, teaching biblical perspectives at Eastern Mennonite University. One of my students is here this morning and, and there to reflect upon the significance of the Bible. Now, I'd like to build my case, so to speak, for reading and studying the Bible through the eyes or lens of Jesus by working with three themes, love, peace, and welcome. Did you know that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life? Karl Barth, one of the most brilliant intellectual scholars and theologians of the 20th century, wrote volumes and volumes of books talking about the significance of the Bible. A reporter asked him if he could summarize what he had written in all of those volumes, and he paused, and then he said, Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so. My goal in reading the Bible is to have it guide me to Jesus. My experience in Bible class at Western Mennonite High School was basically good, but I found myself at odds with some of Brother Lynn's teaching about judgment. He pictured the disastrous effect of going to hell if we die with even one unconfessed sin. In later years, I came to understand God much more as a God of mercy and grace than a finger-shaking, send-you-to-hell kind of person. I experience God's love as revealed in Jesus differently today than I did as a teenager. This love is couched in mercy and grace. This is my modus operandi today. God is no longer a finger-shaking, judging God to me, but one of love and grace and mercy, as revealed in Jesus. I know I don't measure up many times, but I do depend upon that grace to be greater than all my sin. I am often reminded that there's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. Jesus said, Peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. God, as revealed in Jesus, is a non-violent God. Peace is at the heart of the gospel. Jesus has exemplified peace par excellence. My goal is to live a life of peace in ways that I think, speak, and act. 
Reading the Bible through the eyes or lens of Jesus is reading the Old Testament stories about violence in the light of Jesus. The Bible says in the Old Testament, kill non-believers. There is a story, kill men, women, children, infants, kill your neighbors. Jesus said, no, 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 that's not the way to go. You heard that it has been said, but I say to you, love your neighbors. Jesus has the last word. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets, to call us to do justice, love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. In a healthy congregation, unity and peace come from our connection with Jesus. This enriches our diversity. It is centered. It is not bounded by harsh rules and regulations. My granddaughter, Anna, at about age six, was asked to describe Jesus. And this is what Anna said. Come. My granddaughter, Anna, had a pretty significant theological perspective of God. Just come. Jesus also said, come. Come to me, all you who are weary, carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. As individuals and as a congregation, Jesus asks us to welcome people who are marginalized. Jesus says, come, come all. The history of the church, including our denomination, has been one of establishing boundaries to determine who is faithful and who is not. Missionary Paul Hebert says that the message of the gospel comes best when it is from a perspective of a centered set rather than a bounded set. The goal is to invite people to the center, to Jesus. Judging who is a follower of Jesus because of rigid boundaries is dangerous business that tends toward legalism. From the Bible, I learned that Jesus was one smart, sensitive rabbi and that he related to marginalized people such as the Samaritan woman, the tax collector, Matthew. His most direct confrontation was with educated people the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees. Who do you think are marginalized people among us in society and in the church today? Do you have any ideas? Anabaptist theology is Jesus-centered. Menno Simon's favorite Bible verse was, No one can lay any other foundation than that what was laid, which is Jesus Christ. The book, uh, the Bible is a book of progressive revelation, reaching its ultimate in Jesus, the primal narrative of the Bible. It is a roadmap. If followed correctly, leads to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, God is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, 
who became for us the wisdom, the Sophia, the female word, the Sophia of God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. I personally resonate with a song written by Fanny Crosby. From birth, she was blind, and she was a woman of great spiritual sight and insight. And the song reads this way. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest, that ever was heard. Tell how the angels in chorus sang as they welcomed his birth. Glory to God in the highest. Peace and good tidings to earth. I've been meeting with a spiritual director for over 10 years. When we first met, she asked why I'm there, and I said, well, I want to know Jesus better. As a Catholic, she speaks of Jesus as Paschal Mystery. Jesus is our Paschal Mystery, but based on the reality of life well-lived and a death that changed the world. Jesus has modeled for us how to live and how to die. This coming Wednesday, we will enter the season of Lent. This is an important marker in our journey with and toward Jesus. The book of Revelation is a composite of bizarre words and phrases. Beast, dragon, bowls of wrath, great whore with seven heads and ten horns. I heard a story of a layperson who was reading the book of Revelation. This person had a limited uh, formal education, and a scholar passed by and saw this person reading the book of Revelation. And the scholar said, why are you reading that complicated book? And the layman replied, oh, it's easy. Jesus wins. Reading the book of Revelation with the eyes or lens of Jesus brings me to the same conclusion, actually. Revelation tells of a multitude from every nation singing, Hallelujah! The Lord our God Almighty reigns. The home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with them and will be God's people. The city has no need of the sun or moon to shine, for the glory of God is the light, and the lamp is the lamb. The nations shall walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring glory to it. The spirit and the bride say, Come, come, let everyone who hears and is thirsty come. Let everyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift. For the lamb at the center of the throne will guide them to springs of living water. Blessing and glory and Sophia, wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus wins, sisters and brothers, and he says, come. The Bible was woven into my life. From childhood, I learned that I was at the end of a long line that stretched from the characters in the Hebrew Bible to Jesus and the early church, through medieval church history, 
to Anabaptist groups in Europe, to Mennonite immigrants who cleared the forest where the Huns' her house now stands, and finally, to a white clapboard Mennonite church in West Donegal Township in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. I learned that twice before I was born, neighboring farmers had gathered in that meeting house during World War II, praying that the government would not take the surrounding farms for a TNT plant or a military base. Twice their prayers were answered and the community survived intact. The last 200 years of the Lancaster Mennonite story is described in John Ruth's book titled, The Earth is the Lord's. To me, Ruth's book felt like a supplement to the Bible. Only in Ruth's book, I recognized people I knew and places where I had been. Here, the migrations, the disagreements, achievements, failures, joys, hopes, and fears seem to parallel what I read in the Bible. Might Jesus have viewed his scripture and his geography in a similar way? We just heard Matthew's description of how Jesus looked at his Hebrew scripture. We heard that Jesus said, until heaven and earth pass away, not one stroke of a letter, not one jot or tittle from the Jewish law will pass away. And also, Jesus said, be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. Wow. Could anyone be perfect like God? In my childhood congregation, we tried very hard, very hard. Our job was to identify what the Bible required and do it. For my family, this started long before we children could read the Bible. When I was nine years old, our family received, as a Christmas gift, these five volumes titled Standard Bible Story Readers. And on the title page of each of those five volumes is written these words, To Simon and Mary Jean's Wonderful Family. Precept upon precept, line upon line, Isaiah 28.10, from Aunt Maribel, Christmas, 1957. Years later, many of you knew Aunt Maribel as a member of this congregation. These volumes were written for young children in public school. My parents read these books after the evening meal 
when we had what we called family worship. At that time, our Sunday school teachers encouraged us to follow a 10-year program that Lancaster Mennonite Conference promoted with selected Bible passages to be memorized each quarter. I memorized Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains fall into the midst of the sea. Years later, I contrasted that psalm with what I read in the words of the poem Dover Beach, where Matthew Arnold wrote, The sea of faith was once too at the full, but now I only hear its melancholy, long-withdrawing roar retreating. Early on, my grandfather, who was a preacher in my congregation, told us what the Bible says about lawsuits. And then the grandparents on my mother's side joined in a lawsuit against a gas company that had polluted all the wells in the neighborhood. I was shocked. Why would they violate what the Bible so clearly required? I hoped my college years would be a time to sort out such things. But even in college, I had trouble finding answers to my questions about how the Bible came to be. Finally, I read a book that had the best answer I could find. We have these scriptures because over time, here is where the faith community found God. I'm still trying to find out how to read those scriptures. And this winter, I noticed that Barry Friesen was reading Wes Howard's book, Come Out My People. I am intrigued by this author's description of how, within our Bible, some passages are the product of one perspective within Judaism, and other passages are the product of a competing constituency within Judaism. The writer of one biblical account may take the perspective of the powerful, while another writer takes the perspective of the poor. For example, one Bible writer asserts that the people were happy living under Solomon. Another writer says that promptly after Solomon's death, the common people complained to Solomon's son that Solomon had been a very hard taskmaster. The people wanted change. Awareness of such competing accounts in what was assembled as our scriptures helps me to deal with some troublesome passages in the Bible, such as commandments to kill whole groups of people. Recently, I saw an article that asked, does God care about the Bible as much as we do? The writer says that maybe God did not intend the Bible to be the unquestioned final authority on everything. 
He gives examples. Jesus seemed to break shackles to his scripture when he wanted to get to the heart of faith. He repeatedly said, You have heard it said, but I say. And at the birth of the Christian church, three times Peter refused to eat scriptures, eat creatures that his scripture <laughs> forbade him to eat. And the New Testament describes a massive shift from older ways that had included animal sacrifice, a high priestly role, and the law. Many who loved scripture at that time did not recognize the new thing God was up to in Jesus. The new way, as he explained in the Sermon on the Mount. We may be baffled that Peter was so dense about eating unclean animals. But do we sometimes make our Bible into an idol that even God is answerable to? How can the Bible be an invigorating guide for our lives without tying us to dogma and legalism? How can the Bible guide us while tradition leads us, while the church teaches us, while reason informs us, and while experience shapes us into the people of God. How can we become a people formed by the Bible, but not shackled to the Bible? But what about keeping every rule and being perfect? First, about jots and tittles. Jesus obviously struggled with his tradition as he embraced it. He remained a practicing Jew. He was committed to the purposes and outcomes the prophets had sought. He did not relax the demands of his faith tradition. However, he did not, not try to abolish the rules. Instead, he urged a perspective and a way that fulfilled the intent of the rules, that fulfilled the law. Right living requires more than obeying the rules of organized religion. Right living may reverse some customary practices such as retaliating against enemies. Finally, about perfection. I understand that in the original language, what we read in our Bible as perfection was really a call to maturity and completeness. Maturity and completeness in the original language. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, Jesus tells the result of this maturity. He says the result is fruit, like the fruit of a mature and complete fig tree. Our goal, of course, is not just to read the Bible like Jesus, but to act like Jesus. 
That way of being is described by the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who emptied himself, took on the nature of a servant, and was obedient to the point of death.